Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Really excited to introduce our guest today, Sequoia Glenn, founder of the Black Marketers Coalition, um, and also uh, going to be launching a new business, the 9 to 4 Co-op. Welcome, Sequoia. Thanks so much, Mario, for the warm introduction. And hey, everybody listening. Yeah, I'm so glad um, to have you on. I feel like our last conversation, we should have just recorded that because we had such a a good conversation. But um, for those not familiar with you, you know, tell us a little bit about Black Marketers Coalition and then also... Um, Tell us about what you're launching with 9 to 4 Co-op as well. Yeah, so the Black Marketers Coalition is really a group of us. We, we're about 75 to 80 members strong. We started here in Atlanta, Georgia, and we really just felt like a lot of the networking groups as a whole, but specifically for Black marketers, were so transactional. And there is a place for that. There is a place and a need to have, you know, jobs and these corporate sponsorships and all these other cool things. But what was really missing was the relationship portion of everything. So our focus and in our mission is all about building relationships first and then doing business second. And we really was thinking, you know, when we look at what the general market does when they do business, it's a lot of, you know, let's do golf, let's go to galas together, our children play together, we have the same nannies. So we were like, well, why can't we do this in our professional community as Black marketers as well? So we have, um, we have a lot of cool things that we do, which includes a monthly chat entitled If You Know You Know, where we talk about provocative topics that either impact us as far as how we show up as Black marketers, or it's just general thought leadership that we often get cut out of those tables, you know, sitting at those tables to talk about it from a Black marketing perspective. So super excited about everything we have coming um, through the pipeline. July 25th is our second year anniversary. So we are very excited about the growth that we've had and um, even intertwining it with some other business ventures um, that I have going on as well. So definitely stay tuned um, to everything we're doing because you're definitely in for a treat. That's amazing. And congratulations on two years. That's a that's a big milestone. Thank you. It's, it seemed like just yesterday and it's like, oh, crap, we are at two years <laughs> already. <laughs> You know, you, you touched on something really interesting that I want to I want to dive a little bit more on. You you were mentioning about how you started this coalition um, because you wanted to lead with relationships first, and it reminds me I was having this conversation with another founder in our industry, a female founder. She's fantastic. Um, I'm not going to mention who it is just because we recorded the podcast, but haven't published it yet, so I don't want to. You know, I don't want to tap into that content, but one thing we were talking about is like, so we're, you know, we're both, um, diverse founders. I don't even know the, so many names for us now. Right. Right. Um, so, <laughs> well, we're, we're both, we're both diverse founders. She's a diverse female founder. And we were talking about like, you know, why, why aren't there more founders in our industry of color? Um, you know, what is it? And you tapped on something that we were talking about, which is, you know, culturally, right? Like 
how we interact with people is just different. Um, Mm -hmm. And you were talking about, you know, leading with relationships first and, you know, business second. Whereas I feel like, you know, American business, like it, everything is flipped, right? Like, yes. Like you do business. So like, I don't know. Do you think, do you think for founders and, you know, you're, you're a black founder, I'm a, I'm a Latino founder. Like, do you think part of that plays in why it's like, is that a hurdle? Like that culture where we, we want it. And I'm generalizing here, but for the Mm -hmm. most part, right? Like Latinos, I can speak for myself. We, we lead with relationships. Um, I don't know. Is that could that is that a hindrance because we're kind of going against what the culture of American business is? You know, and, and that's a very good question, especially how you asked it. I think it's what we've been taught is American business, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we look at actually what America is, especially coming off this weekend was Juneteenth. What is America? We've been taught that America yeah. is white male of a certain affluence, right? And a certain political view, a certain familiar structure, etc. And what's happening here and we've come across this in all I mean if you've done any multicultural uh marketing or research and things, we all know this melting pot is really really real right now and I think the last that I saw was by 2024 um the majority of folks will be uh mixed race, at least that's you know born in America by then. Yeah. And so when we look at that, and we know this stat is coming, it's, it's kind of sped up a little bit as, as one of the studies I saw. We see that what we were taught maybe in our studies or in our, our just being here, that's going to change. And there is a group two generations down that will never refer to corporate American culture as you and I refer to it today. So for me, it was important to create what I know is coming versus being so reactionary two or three years down the road. And then it's like, holy cow, I should have a place where we talk about relationships and and, and not to go on this, you know, I, I go on these tangents where I'm just like, my mind is spinning, but you know, Learning about how other cultures did business when I was at Jacksonville University, I had a wonderful, she's a dear friend of mine. She's a mentor, Professor Sandra Dean, and she she's a professor at Jacksonville University. She travels the world teaching people how to communicate cross-culturally and cross-functionally, right? And we did this, this key this capstone project in our region was the Netherlands. And we had to look and understand if we were to go to the Netherlands, what is their business practices? And by the time we went around to each group, and I mean, we looked at China, we looked at um, like France, we looked at all these different places, everywhere except for America built relationships first. Even if you walked into their homes, it was expected for you to bring some type of gift for you to either hug or handshake or just look in the eyes for you to speak a certain way and everything was rooted in relationships. So I say that to say, what is American culture anyways, um, especially when we break out of the history of how it was founded. And then we have to challenge ourselves to be the what the culture is going to if we are trying to be these founders that are forward thinking. Why, why wait until the data shows us that we're on the right path if the data is already showing us what the path is? Man, that was, that was, you just blew my mind, right? I, I mean, I othered myself from the get-go, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I, like really, I mean, I didn't even think about how much I internalized, like, oh, I do business a different way. 
um, when what you're saying makes so much sense. It's like, no, I mean, this is what America's going to be in. <clears throat> Lean into that. Absolutely. And I, and I love that because um, you're right. I mean, there is no, we, we, we made up, you know, we're in control of how business is done. Um, and especially if we're moving, if, if this, this country is becoming more diverse culturally, um, I mean, this is just, it's better business, right? I mean, and, and the rest yes. of the world, the re- the rest of the world is doing it already. Um, to your point, I didn't know that that's super interesting that like, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause I just thought, it was the Western way, but you know, it's not. You're you're talking about European countries that that lead with the relationship building first. So that's that's powerful. Absolutely. It's just it's just, you know, and I haven't been able to I haven't been privileged enough to be able to travel the way I would like to, but that is a goal of mine. So I'm like, you know, Get on our good friend Google or Bing or whatever your favorite search engine is. Maybe the one that's paying you. I don't know. But, you know, (laughs) use it and figure out what is happening beyond us. When we get in our own little worlds and our own world becomes the norm, that's when you really have to check yourself. It's like, am I doing this because it's what's taught or am I doing it because it's what's right? And the Black Markers Coalition allows us to, to talk our own crap to each other and figure out, Am I am I feeling this way because I'm taught to feel this way? Is this normal? Should I approach this a different way? Is there a way I can, you know, instead of waiting for another crisis to hit, can I educate folks on how we feel? Can we ask, you know, hey, this is what we ask of you guys. And we've created through the monthly, if you know, you knows they're on every first Thursday, unless the, the month starts on a, on the first, then it's like, no, let's do it the week after. But every first Thursday at noon Eastern, we have these talks and it's like at least, at least five people. And I'm talking, we have about 30 to 50 people on these calls. At least five people have told me and non-black people have told me things like, I never knew you guys felt that way. Thanks so much for being honest. We appreciate you providing a safe space for us to ask our questions or even other black marketers saying, yo, I've been dying for a community like this. How can I get involved? And it's just literally all about relationships and listening with empathy and looking around outside of our own little ecosystem and seeing how we can move this world forward. And and that's my goal for the BMC. I love that. And, and one thing that comes out very clearly that a lot of our guests share that are in the research industry, that's like, you're curious, you question things. Like everybody in the research industry comes in by such a variety of backgrounds. But one thing that I've found is that almost across the board, all of us are curious and question why things are done a certain Mm -hmm. way. So that's really, it's really interesting. So I want to know, how did you end up in research? Like, what was your journey? Yeah. So it's funny you you asked that. We we just did a study with Wire about the difference in how all of us come into research. And there was some congruency between how people of color, we tend to land in research versus being taught, hey, I want to be a researcher and this is what you need to do. So I was spot on with that finding and I fell into research. And to be very honest, I had a mentor. I have a mentor. She is a friend of mine, Nicole Hartman, and she's, she's a white woman who just... She she gets it. She activates folks. She empowers people of color because she gets how important it is. She's just a wonderful friend and ally. And she looked at me and I was a coordinator. 
right at Cox Media Group. And I was a coordinator. I had um, two bachelor's degrees and I had one master's degree. At this point, I was about four years in my career and I was making $35,000 a year. And here in the South, it's cheaper, but not that cheap. And so I'm busting my, my behind consulting. And she's like, you know, Sequoia, the only way you're really going to get out of this, there, there's a lot of different ways, but she says, you got to look at where the revenue is going. And the revenue is following analytics. Have you considered becoming a researcher? And I'm like, Nicole, what are you talking about? Like there's researchers in media. What is that? And she taught me, she didn't just throw something at me. She didn't just put me on a project. She asked, would you be interested in research? And so Long story short, she managed me for um, nearly my whole two years there. And we went on to different companies and went on to different things. But she taught me what is, you know, what are ratings? What are media media metrics that you need to know? Who are these partners you need to know? Wh- what are the, the Nielsen's and the Magellan's doing? Hey, I'm going to fly you up to corporate so you can meet the corporate research team and just see what interests you there. We're going to put you on projects if you would like so that you can really understand if this is something for you. And so as a coordinator, that's what I did. She provided me a way to get involved with different projects a bit above my pay grade. And it was beautiful because when I came to Atlanta, I I got a promotion for a job that I, I just hated it. It wasn't for me and it was okay. And that very next job that I got after that was as an analyst level two over at Comcast Spotlight, which is now effective. And that's when I got my real first researcher role. Like this is all you have to do. So I say I fell into it, but it was a beautiful fall because someone recognized I was good at math, had a statistical background. I was very forward thinking, very um, empathetic and listening and just said, hey, pulled out this table, you know, pulled out that chair at the table and said, hey, why don't you consider taking a, a leap of faith? And ever since then, my career got deeper and deeper in my love of data um, to where now I'm, I'm known as Data Bay in the industry and doing really cool things. And it all started with Nicole Hartman just saying, hey, girl, if you're tired of making $35,000 a year, we have something <laughs> for you. And here's how. That's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, like, and from what I take from that story is like, what what a great archetype for how to be an ally. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I get, um, and I'm sure you do too, right? Like a lot of people that mean well and reach out and want to help um, get involved, but nothing beats action. Nothing beats action. I mean, and like she like changed the trajectory of your career. Mm-hmm. Like if she doesn't do anything to help anyone else, like, Man, the impact that she's had on you, like that's incredible, and like, and that you're having on our industry, right? Like that's incredible to me. Um, and I think people listening, you know, we we have people that are interested in multicultural, you know, diversity and inclusion listening, but I think that story really highlights. The, I mean, to me, like just the best way that you can be an ally is like put your money in your mouth, is roll up your sleeves and help somebody out. If you see, right? Like, that's incredible. That's incredible. And and she must have, like, been intuitive enough to know that you had an interest, that you were curious in data, right? Because... Yes. Because she, you know, she didn't introduce you to something else. Like, you, you clearly... You know, I can tell that, like, you're curious, and she must have saw that as well, which is awesome. 
Yes, and it's it's those it's those little projects, right? And I, and I tell people for both our founders that can now give back to others, and then also those that are trying to get to the level of founding something, right? You have to reach back, and not just for your personal gain. What can also be the gain of this person? Because if that person does this and does it well, all of that's attributed to you. And I haven't worked for Nicole since 2016, but. Everything, it's like we we have this bond, you know, like I'm like her, I'm her work baby, right? Where it's like you just saw something and it started with her, when her, she first hired me, she knew I had some kind of data background. She looked at my degrees and things like that and things I was passionate about. But she, she started me with the little project where I would have to, every Wednesday, I will never forget this, every Wednesday, me um, me and the other two coordinators would have to do these um, these aging reports. So if anybody's like triggered by aging reports, <laughs> I think it, I'm like, oh God, here we go. But we had to pull these aging reports to figure out who hadn't collected money that they had sold, right? And I don't know if radio is still done like this has been some years, but who still needed to collect money? How bad were we behind? Did you reach your did you reach your goals as far as how many calls you made, cold calls and things like that? And all she asked for was it to be in this this, in my opinion, this ugly Excel spreadsheet that they were used to. And I'm like, well, can I take this a step further and tell a little story here? And she let me and just kind of let me go at it. And though I say that the same. Those little projects, when you're trying to identify future database or future talent for whatever your your business is, be it the person writing, you know, the analysis for the research, the person doing the white paper, whatever, those little projects, they can really turn into something if you listen and look, because those younger people may not know what all is out there, right? They don't know what these terms are unless they're taught in school. So it's up to us to reach back and say, oh, I identify that. And maybe you can work on this and let's see how we can change your career trajectory as well. So pretty, I, I just love her. I owe a lot to her forever and a day, um, but it just, it meant the world and it really, really changed my career trajectory for sure. That's awesome. And shout out to Nicole and shout out to everybody, you know, reaching out and, and helping people because that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. So, um, so clearly now you're not working there anymore. You've flash forward you're you're a founder now two companies i mean so what what was that transition like like what what made you kind of want to leave the corporate world um and what inspired you to to be a founder yeah you know it boils down to two words mental health um and not every organization is bad for mental health i would never say that but in marketing, it because I was a researcher in marketing organizations, you get two folds of complexity. It's the actual complexity of a research role, which we all know is is not what it looks like, right? It's, it's the days where it's boring, <laughs> where you're having to just clean and scrub data or really just like bang your head against the wall to figure out how you're going to write this survey, right? But then that's part of it. But when you work in a marketing organization, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of egos. There's a lot of clients. And there is, quite frankly, a lot of uncertainty. And so when I came into marketing, it was post-recession. And when I left corporate, the corporate space, it was whatever we want to call this now. I don't know. Uh, I guess a recession-ish. And so 
I really, my mental health, I got to year 10 and I'm like, my mental health continues to take a hit. I continue to um, just not be my best self mentally. I'm, I'm showing the smiles, but you're also not seeing the two times I've had to call my therapist to sit on her sofa, do these virtual calls and just cry my eyes out because I'm overworked, underpaid, and just sometimes treated like crap, you know? And I'm a black woman, um, identifies queer. And it's like the world we've lived in, and especially with my personal intersectionality this past year could have broke me. Um, I had COVID. I've lost five family members this year. I I bought a house, which was a blessing, but it's a stressor for anybody that's ever bought a house. Um, I've had, you know, where you walk in every day for months during COVID and you're like, please don't let this largest account leave because we're not going to have jobs. So on and on and on. I mean, this last two years and just, it's just been rough. And mental health has literally led me out every single job I have quit because I got to a point once 2017 hit and I fell into this crazy depression because of job, a job. I said, I will never be depressed over a fictional place a day ever again in my life. And People kind of look when I say fictional places like, oh, my God, you said work is fictional. And it's like it is because until my name is on the side of this building, it can never mean anything worth me giving up my mental health for someone else to make 4,000% more than what I make. Work does not keep me up at night, especially when my name is on it. I have a certain amount of hours. I'm going to work and I'm not going to work. And when that organization put in organizations. It's a, it's a thing, right? When they push you into ways that are not growing you and it starts, you know, you start coming home and you're a different person and you realize you've missed these different functions because you're overworked or you're just tired and you sleep for days and don't bathe or whatever. It's time to give up something. And the first thing I'm going to give up is things that are not real to me. My family is real to me. My significant other is real to me. The things that I, my legacy is real to me. Work is not a legacy for me. It's, a, it's, it's just, it's currency, right? And so I made a conscious decision that I was choosing me. I was not, 2021 was not going to be 2027, 20, uh, excuse me, 2017. I made a vow to myself, the moment I feel like I'm slipping into 2017, I have to pull out. And I said, is this something, and I've been on interviews, I've been on dozens of interviews to get back in corporate, and it's the same thing. I'm just like, you know what? I'm not an employee anymore. I don't have that mindset anymore, and I don't care about your business more than I will ever care about my life ever again. If that's what you want to hire, that's okay. There are people that haven't learned that lesson, and quite frankly, we need employees, but that's not me, and so I chose to take a culmination of my 10 years of experience within, you know, starting as a for- in a Fortune 500 grocery chain all the way down to a small, a smaller agency, but that builds millions and millions and millions of dollars in ad spend every year 
I took my from my beginning to my end and said, what do I want? And what I wanted was to found a cooperative marketing agency where people didn't have to give up their identities, their selves or their values. They brought the, their authentic selves to the table. We built the team for the client versus the other way around. And we just do really, really dope shit. And that all started from my mental health taking a hit in 2017 and me saying never, ever, ever again. And that's really what started my fountain, me being a founder. That's incredible. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And I, I, I you know, one thing I want to touch on, I wonder, because we have, you know, we, we have a lot of um, kind of senior leadership that listens to our podcast. And I think it's important for them to hear what you have to say, right? How can they make their organizations more inclusive? Um, before we dive into the BMC, which I want to talk about, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, is there anything or what could have organizations that you've worked for in the past done to prioritize your mental health, um, specifically for you, um, who identify as black and queer? Like, if, is there anything, any programs, anything that could have been set up for you to make you feel included and have that like life work balance? I'm curious if there's anything that could have been done. Absolutely. And good question. Um, one of the things I tell people, equity goes a long way. And there is no reason in 2021 that any company, especially in America, does not have visibility into is pay equitable for people. Um, I had a, a manager and she she once said she was like, well, I'm afraid that she she it was just a bad meeting, but it, it it did something to me. She said, you know, I don't think money is really your issue. You're you're always going to have an issue here. And I told her, I said, well, it's easy for you to say that because you make twice as more than me. And she stopped and I said, you make twice as much as me. So why don't we at least try, you know, try to give me a raise and then I can come back to you. But it's, it's you know, money does change a lot. Money allows me to pay for my therapy without having to flinch or to sacrifice anything. Money allows me to be able to afford the conferences that you're not approving because you suddenly don't see the value in this company for Sequoia, but you see it for Emily, right? Um, money allows me to be able to dress a certain way and look a certain way so that I can attract certain types of people in the eyeballs. Money allows me to get more education and not just for things that you've identified as beneficial to your company. They can also just be beneficial to me as a human being. So money does do a lot. It does help you um, sleep a little bit better at night. And anybody that tells you anything different, then they need to give you a little bit of the extra that they have because they clearly don't understand. Um, so that is one the equity. Another thing is really actually putting your money where your mouth is. So, you know, there's a lot of ERGs and we talk about this with the Black Marketers Coalition. We, we had to talk about this and I said, put the resource back in ERGs. Black people, and I can't speak for any other group because I'm not, I'm not in many of them, but I will say of the different diverse groups I've been in, veterans, you know, children of veterans, LGBTQ, um, 
things like that, young adults, young uh, uh, recent college grads, black folks, it's like we beg for the resources, but we're continuously getting extra mentorship that leads to nowhere or it just leads to pats on the back, but it doesn't do anything to your bottom line. We get, uh, you know, we get awards and things, but you can't take an award to Georgia Power and say, hey, Georgia Power, I got this award. Can you take that off my light bill? That's not how things work, right? (laughs) And, And, you know, it'll be like, oh, let's get together and let's go, let's go bowling. And it's like, that's great. But at the end of the day, are you putting me in rooms that I can't normally access? Can you put me in leadership programs that don't just result in a certificate? It results in, hey, we're going to give you the resources to start this new this new team because you've done X, Y, Z. There are so many ways that we can be valued in the workplace that I tell people, and and not to sound crass, but the same thing you're doing for white men to be successful in the workplace, it's not that difficult to do it for diverse groups. And you would at least retain the employees or retain their respect once they leave. If you just put the R's back into, so those resources back into employee resource groups and stop making it so hard. Just just apply, just copy and paste, you know? <laughs> but for some reason, it's just been difficult. And that's something that would have helped me for sure. That's great. I mean, and I love, I mean, your focus is back to the people, right? I think in diversity and inclusion, they get, I mean, as an outsider and I, you know, and I've talked to these organizations and people lead it like, I think they think of it as perks, like what are perks, what are perks, what are perks, but you're bringing about like money and people, you know, get to the Mm -hmm. equity to your point, like, and, and we're not asking for more, right. We're just asking for equity, like pay people um, what they're worth. And then two on the ERG side, like make it easy for people to contribute. I think it's great what LinkedIn did right? Paying. Yes. I mean, they're paying a stipend for employees because one thing that happens is like, okay, yeah, we'll set up an ERG. And what ends up happening is that it's just more work for people of color that are already kind of struggling. And now it's like, okay, cool. Do this ERG and set it up and we're not going to pay you. It's like, no, you got to pay people. Um, So those are great points. Those are great points. And thank you for sharing. I think, you know, I think it's rare that we get to talk to someone that's so candid about some of the issues that marketers of color are facing. Um, so let's, you know, let's bring it back. So Black Marketers Coalition, you touched on it a little bit, but can you go into more depth? Like, you know, how does this, the collective model, how does it solve the issues that you saw in the corporate setting? Yeah. So honestly, transparency it goes a long way right and so how it kind of started was a group me and to be quite frank it was a group me where we started just talking crap about about the places we worked and it was like oh like I can't believe they told me they asked me to do this and I can't believe that this is how you know and so it started with just passion pure passion right but a mentor told me never I this man I mean he's like my dad in the corporate space Greg Dixon he told me you know passion is great but if it's unguided it's just hot air right it's it's great you have it kind of like you know like the Sixers last night when the Atlanta Hawks when we beat the crap out of them but I digress (laughs) but you know (laughs) 
Sorry, Philly. But it's literally about guiding our passion. So, okay, we have a place to vent, but now what? Because I'm not here to just listen to people. There are therapists and licensed counsel for that. But what are we going to do with this passion? So, we ended up getting an ask um, from my old agency. Some folks were, were like, Sequoia, what do you think about the social dilemma? And then a couple of folks in the group was like, hey, yo, did y'all watch the social dilemma? And I was like, ooh, we have something here. So July of 2019 through last summer was all passion, just letting it rip. Hey, okay, maybe I might be hiring for something here or there, but just passion. But November 2020, something magical happened. And Someone said, why don't you think about hosting a Zoom and we just talk about it? And I was like, okay. And then Black Twitter had this viral hashtag, if you know, you know, I-Y-K-Y-K. And I had to think about that. (laughs) So Black Twitter had this already catchy um, hashtag and it started taking over in the corporate space. And I was like, yo, that's it. We're going to name our series, If You Know You Know. And we're going to start by having five random people all my friends in the industry talk about how we feel about the social dilemma. And we had researchers, insights. We had um, the actual IT and tech, someone in there. We had pure marketers that were just like, I have nothing to do with MarTech, but I have an opinion. And we started something magical. And that that next topic was, if you, it, it was, if you know, you know, the social dilemma part two. Let's talk about actions we can take from this movie. And then it turned into this beautiful things where we've had topics such as 10 forms, 10, 10, um, signs that your brand is performative AF. And we literally had a conversation with literally like 70 people on the call, mostly white outside of people that were in the coalition, where they literally came to just hear where they missed the mark and ultimately what actions can they take to never do that again. And from there, it took off. We've covered mental health. We've covered the boycott. We've covered how Black men show up to work as marketers. Women, hey, I'm speaking. Let's talk about it. We've even talked about where exactly does the money reside and different strategies on how to go about salary negotiations, pricing for your own businesses, and much, much more. And it it just happened because... What we do every day, Mario, we listen to customers, we hear their sentiments, we understand what they want to see, and then we meet the people where they are. And every month, we take feedback and try to get better and better to where we can proudly announce that next October, we're holding our very first conference here in Atlanta, and we're going to do a live, if you know, you know, where we can bring some of that energy in person and welcome folks into our world. So super, super excited and just listening to the people and giving them what they want. That's amazing. I would like to go. So keep me posted. Yes. You'll have to be a speaker. We'll, we'll make sure you're in the fold. <laughs> oh man. I oh, mean, that, that's incredible. I mean, um, yeah. And you're just solving so many issues, right. And really taking what you learned from a corporate setting, um, and making a space that really that, that a company, many companies don't provide, which I think is incredible. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I think one of the most interesting parts of our last conversation, we were talking about how, how companies market to black consumers, African-Americans in the U S. Um, can you talk a little bit about, and you know, I think one of the most interesting part of the conversation is that we were talking about the complexity of the black consumer 
that's mm-hmm. so often missed, right? Um, and I guess this is the other side of their business because we're talking about more B2B. You know, talk a little bit about, and maybe you can talk about the webinar series that you're launching. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what is corporate America companies, what do they miss about the complexity of Black consumers? Oh man, what don't they miss? Um, <laughs> I'll take I'll take one. Um, so the webinar series is is what's the four one one, and and it's going to be a collaboration between the nine to four co op, and then um, my friends over at Venley, which is another phenomenal research organization, and we basically were like, there is something missing, like. What is black? Because when you look, even being taught in sociology, right, there's a difference between race and ethnicity. Like you can be a black Cuban, but you're, you know, you're Cuban, but you're black, right? Or I can be a black American. I could be Nigerian, but I'm black facing in America. So those are just two examples from friends of mine, right? And we're like, we think different even though we're all we all look black we may not have the same language we don't have the same background we may eat along the same guidelines you know because the diaspora has a lot of commonalities there but we're all different cultures and we know that culture influences every single thing we do until the day we die and so we wanted to figure out is it just one type of black that like, so what does that mean? Is it just black people born in America to black families that think this way? Or is there intersectionalities that we need to consider that impacts consumerism? Right. So how does, you know, right now, for example, we're coming off the hills or we're right at the peak or we're somewhere with our social justice movement that is the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? But then we also have the Stop Asian Hate movement that's going on. Do we not think that there are some Black Asians that may be in the middle that may buy differently or think differently because their intersectionality is a little bit different? Are there Black Hispanics that may feel a certain way about certain things, especially along social justice lines and brands, that's a little bit different than me, a Black woman in Atlanta, Georgia? So we really wanted to look at the diaspora. What types of intersectionalities impact consumerism right now in a distressed nation? What things do certain groups of people within blackness want to see? Do they want to be called black? Do they prefer Afro-Latina? Do they prefer African-American? And, and, and by who? And I told this, I told this joke to my partner at Vinley. I said, it's kind of like, I can talk about my mama, but nobody else can. Right. So do we want, I am okay with saying, Hey, you know, I'm black, but do we want corporations to say African-American? We don't know until we test into that. So that whole webinar series is going to be super dope. We're about to launch the study. Um, It's all written out. It's all coded. And we're ready to deploy it. And I am excited because I do have a couple hypotheses, but I don't know anything. (laughs) And so I'm like, ooh, let's see what happens. And we're going to do some really cool cross tabs, you know, looking at certain regions, looking at certain affluence, right? Because money can change how you consume and how you align to brands and social justice. So we're we're looking to tell about five key points. I won't spoil it for y'all, but we are going to really, really be able to splice and dice this information in a way that is actionable and that tells a little bit of a deep 
superstore it and just um, in, at the beginning of my career, it was old urban audiences. It's like, what the hell is urban audiences? So now getting really, really into what that means, calling it what it is, and making sure that we represent the diaspora versus just urban or just black. Defining it and putting some action next to it is really our goal with that um, study that we're launching. I love that because one of you know one of the things that really pushes us and one of the things that we say constantly to our clients is that there's no there's no more there's let me rephrase it the idea that there's one message that can reach a lot of people is dead like mm-hmm. I feel like in the world that we live in now and really the world that we have been living in but marketers are just understanding it's all about specificity it's all about targeting that Afro-Latina, like you said, um, and being very specific in your messaging after understanding how they want to be referred to. And an interesting thing happens when when you get more specific in your advertising, it actually resonates with more people. I think marketers a lot of the time are afraid of being too specific because they're like, oh, well, you know, what about... What about non-Afro-Latinos? What about white people? What about Asians? Well, the reality is that we don't necessarily respond only to something that's specific to us, although that's that's very good. We what we respond to is authenticity. Yes. And when when you're authentic about reaching a very specific audience, something weird happens. Other people that are not that group that it's intended for, it resonates because it's true. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I one thing that I talk to clients about a lot is like, I mean, look what's happening on the content in terms of streaming. There's shows that are like so specific, right? Like I'm watching stuff like uh there's this great show based out of the Netherlands. Um, and it's all like in Dutch, but it's about a startup. It's about a woman in color, a woman of color. Um God, I don't even know the country, but um startup and like just so so far removed beyond my experience except we're we're both founders but like different culture different background different country different language and but the sto- the story's told authentically and it resonates with me and okay. i think that's one thing that like streaming services has done right they've enabled creators to s- tell very specific stories about very specific experiences and it doesn't just resonate with those people that identify with that character and those experience. It resonates with everybody, right? And I think it's the same for marketing. Yes. And and it's and it's funny you say that. We we talked about this on Ooh, I think it was January or February, if you know you know. And we talked about redefining the general audience. And for whatever reason, general and remember, we talked about this at the top of the call. What is the American corporate, right? What is that? Same with general audiences. How can you say a general audience means everybody, aka code for white people, right? But then when we get to multicultural, then, oh, well, I can't layer on this and this. You can either select the ethnicity or not. Remember, that used to be a targeting issue, too. Yeah. It was you could, you could layer on four sentiments or whatever with general audience. But then when it comes to multicultural, you couldn't. And I'm, I'm very proud of 
so many vendors and search engine groups and media companies that have leveraged technology for good that have allowed us to now target differently. But we are now redefining the general market and saying, what is that? And, and one shout out, that I would love, uh, and I think you've probably seen this because it was a general market ad. It was the recent um, Procter & Gamble ad about widening the screen. And I was like, man, you guys get it. And Procter & Gamble has gotten it for a long time, but this particular ad that ran about two, three months ago was so good in showing Black, and which could be insert any ethnic group here, is not a monolith. There's Mm -hmm. so many different things within these cultures that if you just widen your mind, you can see that this culture may look a certain way, but we relate to y'all more than we don't. But you have to do it authentically. And with our group is my the group, the Black Markers Coalition, but also my agency I'm founding is really about bringing these authentic teams to you so that we don't have to beg for authenticity. It just breathes throughout the marketers that, we, that we're teaming up with. So we don't have to say, hey, well, can you convert this ad to Spanish for me? Just hire Spanish people, like Spanish speaking <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> like, I mean, it is that simple. And that's something we are trying to do as an organization. Call it out. Let's speak candidly. And we have had people that have gotten jobs off of our off of our group. We've had people get new speaking engagements and more and more and more. And it all roots in that authenticity that you spoke of. I love it. I love it. That's um, that's amazing. And shout out. I mean, in a relatively small amount of time, you've had such a big impact. And I appreciate everything you're doing for the industry and moving the conversation forward. Um Believe it or not, we're hitting our time here. So I'm sure people are going to want to find you. How do we connect with Sequoia Data Bay Glenn online? Yes. So I am, that is literally my name on LinkedIn. So you can always find me, just type in Databay on LinkedIn and you can find me. Um, also, our website is launching. It will be 924. So the number's 924coopcoop.com as well as blackmarketerscoalition.org. So any way you can find us, we will definitely be available to keep these conversations going and learn along the way as well. Thank you so much. Pleasure to have you. Thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, look forward to seeing you in October, Sequoia. Definitely. Talk with you soon, my friend. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.